Looking for new threads? Well, we've got you covered at the Music Is Live podcast official merch store over at tpublic.com. Whether it's t-shirts, baseball tees, hoodies, coffee mugs, travel mugs, phone cases, or onesies for your infant rockers and metalheads, you can find everything you're looking for over at the Music Is Live podcast merch store at tpublic. Go to my link tree at l-i-n-k-a-t-r dot e-e forward slash Music Is Live podcast and get your merch today. Buy my stuff and thanks for your support. TerraNut is proud to offer you a natural nut bar chock full of healthy fats, minerals, and protein that meet your demands. Go to their website, www.terranut.com. You can order from them directly, and they will ship it to you. Use my coupon code, LUMAVS, and you will get a 25% discount on your first order. TerraNut Superfood Snacks, www.terranut.com. Don't forget to use coupon code, LUMAVS, at checkout. Fuel your life. You're listening to the Music Is Life podcast with your host, Lou Mabs, on the Rat Sound Review Network. In August 2017, you joined forces with former Carnivore guitarist Mark Piovanetti and drummer Louis Beato, which if anyone recalls from my episode with producer General George Fullen, I stated he was one of my three favorite drummers from hardcore. And the three of you formed Carnivore AD as a tribute to the music of Carnivore. Since then, Carnivore's music has been performed around the world, including at many European metal festivals with the response being nothing but positive and has been praised as a great tribute to the memories of Peter Steele and Keith Alexander. Being no stranger to Carnivore's music, you obviously fit the position perfectly from your talent alone. To to play with two-thirds of the lineup that recorded Retaliation and give fans an opportunity to see these songs perform live, was there ever any pressure that you might have felt going into this? And how does it feel to know that five years later, people still want more Carnivore AD? Well, it feels great to know that people still, you know, are interested in the band. It's a wonderful thing after all this time. You know, I mean, the music of Carnivore should always be heard. Regardless of if if I'm doing it or whatever, you should always walk into a festival or or a club and be able to hear those songs, I believe. You know, I mean, it should live on. It should should go on longer than... uh, then eternity. It should always be there. And we're, we're, gonna, we're here to make sure that that's going to be the case. As far as feeling any kind of pressure going into it, I, I got to say, uh, not really. You know, I was up for the task. I knew it was an, an borderline impossible task. I knew the songs. Um, it's in my heart. I was there from the beginning. Let me add it. You know, uh, no problem whatsoever. Uh, I, I'm on a mission. You know, it's just like the Blues Brothers. Uh, we're on a mission from God. Have you seen the light? Yes! Yes! Jesus H. Goddamn Christ! I have seen the light! It's all part of me, and, and I couldn't wait to get out there and do it. I mean, I knew there was definitely a risk, obviously, you know, to be in, 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 in Pete's role or, or whatever. Um, but I was up for it. You know, I didn't let that discourage me. I'm like, I know this music. I was there from, the, from day one. Um, let me add it. I'm up for the task. You know, I, I have tremendous love for this music and for, and for the, for these guys. 
you know, for Pete and for Keith and, and, and Mark and Louie, uh, I'm ready to do it. I'll walk, I'll walk through fire, you know, <laughs> it's just <laughs> whatever it takes. Um, I, I worked really hard on it. I deciphered everything. I, I put it all back together again. So, uh, yeah. Um, I, I was never, uh, that there were no regrets and no turning back and something I wanted to do. Uh, and, and, you know, the greatest thing that I, that I've accomplished yet, I think, you know, it's been a tremendous move. Uh, as I mentioned before, the, uh, the origin of, of, of my, my involvement was, um, that, that I actually had, had reached out to them. I had reached out to Mark and Louie. 2017 was the, the 30th anniversary of the release of Retaliation. So I think he was inspired to get back to playing music. And uh, he went out there and he was playing the material, you know, with different musicians. He was singing uh, a lot of the times as well. Um, and I was watching footage of this as it was happening. And I'm thinking to myself, I wish I could get in there. Right? Long story short, um, uh, a crazy mutual friend of ours actually suggested to me that I contact them and propose that idea. At first, I thought it was ludicrous. Um, but then I thought about it. And uh, I, I, I recorded a couple of videos here in this living room at like three o'clock in the morning, you know, uh, playing excerpts from some of the songs. And I sent it to those guys and uh, Louis and Mark. And, and they had great, uh, pretty good responses, especially Louis. Uh, he had some really, you know, wonderful things to say that really meant a lot. And uh, I proposed the idea of us getting together and, and trying to, to do something. Um, it, it wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't able to happen right away, but then eventually it did. And that's kind of what led up uh, to where we are now. And, and the audiences were very receptive. And it was quite a surreal experience. Um, initially, Louis' involvement was very, uh, was very limited. And uh, there was really only one show that we had done. Um, but that was a very surreal experience for me to be playing with the two members of Carnivore. You know, I look back and Louis there and then Mark's to the side of me. And then I'm, I'm in the middle of this somehow, you know, so that was that was something else. That, that was an incredible thing. And then we kept it going. Um, uh, we had uh, Joe Branciforte, an old friend of mine who I played with in Dark Side. Um, he eventually, um, you know, got into the drummer role. Ultimately, Mark had to, uh, you know, to, to end his uh, relationship with the band for personal reasons. And uh, I brought in my old friend Chuck Linehan from the old um, hardcore days. So even at that point, it was already now just like a tribute from, uh, you know, from the musicians that were around back in the day, you know, that, that were all friends with the, uh, the original members. Joe had to had to depart um, as well, you know, for personal reasons. And uh, hence the arrival of Joe Cangalosi, who was a former member of Creator and a Whiplash, who was also, you know, back there during the day and has all sorts of uh, great stories. Um, the bands that he was in um, opened up for uh, Carnivore, the same way that my band, Sheer Terror, had opened up for him. Uh, Joe has a great story of um, a band that he was in, uh, opened up for Carnivore, and then uh, he, uh, th there was blood all over his drum set from when Carnivore would throw the meat in the audience. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we have so many great tales. So. And it was the 80s, people. Let it go. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that was part of the stage show um, for Carnivore in the 80s. They would throw up blood and uh, internal organs and uh, from animals, I think, from animals. Um, you can never get away with that now, obviously. No. But, <laughs> um, so, yeah, so his drums got all filled with blood, and he's still, you know, you know, glowing about it to this day, understandably so. And... Uh, and again, the great memories I've had being in sheer terror, you know, um, sharing the stage with Carnivore at CBGB's. So, uh, so it all kind of came full circle. And, uh, and Carnivore ID right now, you know, with Chuck from the Crumb Suckers, Joe Kangalosi, Whiplash Crater, myself, Sheer Terror, it truly is, you know, the, uh, the, the veterans um, from the scene, you know, paying homage to their, 
to their comrades from the scene, the carnivore. Um, we were all there. We shared the stage. Uh, as, it, as I was telling you, we were thanked on the Retaliation album, all of our bands. Yeah, Share Terror, Whiplash, and Crumb Suckers. Yes. Yeah. And, and to me, that only adds more authenticity to what Carnivore AD is all about. Like, Thank you. Yeah, we were there. You know, so this is this is very serious. And we love these guys. And then and they're our friends and we miss them. And uh, we're on a mission from God. You know, the music has to be heard. We're going to make sure that, that it is heard. Well, hallelujah so, for that. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. And it's um, great that people still care. Uh, definitely. You know, we were supposed to have been back in Europe earlier this month, actually. But of course, it had to get canceled because of the virus situation. So, you know, so instead, I'm, you know, I sat here in the living room for a week. But uh, mm. so, yeah. <laughs> so we look forward to getting back and uh, and the world uh, we look forward to, for the world to get back as well. But uh, yeah, it's great. I mean, we're going to we're going to keep going. It's been a blast, you know, and it means the world to us. You know, I mean, I, I can't emphasize that enough, um, how, how personal this is and, and, and the love in our hearts, you know, for this music in that point in time, as we discussed earlier, uh, I can't emphasize that enough. You know, um, I mean, everything we do and every, every show that we do is always going to have dedicated with love and honor to the memories of our old friends, Peter Steele and Keith Alexander. That's uh, in some ways, that's the most important thing that we could say or even do. Um, and that's really where it's at. One thing I have to say, though, it is not an easy role to take on because Pete Seal himself was a one of a kind original. Of course. And, you know, to be able to match him vocally as well as bass playing technique. There's not that many people that could fill that role. And the fact that you're doing it as a fan, I didn't want a duplicate. And I'm proud to say that in my eyes and in my heart, you're not a duplicate. Well, thank you. You're still being you and just paying beautiful tributes to who someone who for me was one of the most influential musicians in my life. So yeah, as a fan, if you haven't heard it yet, I say thank you. So, you know, you're very welcome. And thank you for what you're saying. And, and thank everyone, you know, for supporting what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, Pete is the most irreplaceable, iconic frontman in this entire genre, <laughs> mm -hmm. period. You know, there's no fans or butts about that, you know, and it's not a matter of anybody's trying to replace him or anything like that. Quite the contrary, mm -hmm. you know, it would be an impossible task. And that's totally not what it is. It's just a matter of, of recreating the sound and, and bringing it back out there that that that's what this is here definitely and one yeah. thing i want to mention though your bases are incredible works of art they're not bases that you could find at any major chain store or at a mom and pop store like all music incorporated located on south oyster bay road in Plainview, new york and make sure you say hello to guy brogno scatterbrain and also johnny ash the guitar tech and adam when you stop by those are my boys loves all music i support them every chance i get cool how do you personally go about picking an instrument that you want to purchase or play is there like a certain wood or weight or dimension or you know it neck through or bolt on i know that your bases are neck through so is there like a particular base model or base company that you prefer i love talking gear with people so i just want to know oh yeah no right on i i love talking gear as well i've always been a very 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 big fan of uh of bc rich as everybody knows and can see um, the BC Rich Warlock that I have is actually from the late 1980s that I had purchased back then. Um, you can't find that in a store these days. That's wait sure. a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That Warlock is from the 80s? Yeah. It's I in pristine condition. Yeah, I, you know, I, I keep 
good care of it. Uh, I take care of it. <laughs> there are a few little bumps and scratches here and there, but uh, you know, you got to take care of your, uh, your gear. Definitely. Uh, and also it's a very durable instrument. I mean, it could definitely withstand a lot. Not that I would want to put it through that, but um, yeah, nowadays you couldn't find that in a store. You'd have to order that directly from the factory or something or other, but believe it or not, in 1988, I was able to walk into a store and buy that shockingly give you an idea of uh, how things have changed. So definitely neck through, that's definitely a prerequisite. I think it makes a difference in the sound. Um, you know, I've done modifications, changed the, the pickups and, uh, and the bridge was changed also as well. Um, but it works great for something uh, that old. It's just, uh, it's phenomenal. Um, active pickups on the, on the BC Rich. Uh, so I got to change the battery, which is a pain in the ass, but, uh, mm. but it's worth it. Um, yeah, that's the bass I use for Carnivore D. It gets the sound. Um, it's very appropriate for that kind of music. Um, it's been with me all these years. Uh, it's an extension to me, uh, no question about it. Um, I'd love to get some uh, some more BC Riches at some point as well. So yeah, I can't say enough positive things about uh, about their equipment. And then another favorite of mine is Rickenbacker, which a lot of people love as well. <laughs> of course, made famous by Lemmy and uh, and Paul McCartney before him. And he was, I think, Paul McCartney was the first guy to actually play them. I think so. I, yeah, I got to yeah. throw Getty Lee and Chris Squire in oh, yeah, there. Yeah, that was my next mention, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. So uh, there's a lot of tradition and history behind that as well. Um, that, that's a recent bass that I uh, that I got. Oh, I, wow. I can't wait to see you play a Rick. That's cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's footage of it online uh, for the Motor Plasma side project stuff. Oh, then that makes sense. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, yeah. It was appropriate for that, obviously. Um, that's a big part of trying to get Lemmy's sound. I mean, Lemmy's another guy that's irreplaceable and unmatchable. You know, and 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 this is that like like Peter's. Agreed. But uh, having the Rick and backer helps um, in, in regard to that sound. So uh, yeah, that's a neck through bass as well. Um, I I changed the pickups, uh, you know, modified and put some hotter picks up, uh, pickups in it. Um, it's a wonderful sound, uh, different sound than the BC Rich, obviously. So between those two musical instruments, I'm definitely uh, definitely a very happy person. Let's put it that way. Yeah. What amps do you use for gear? Um, that tends to vary. Uh, usually with the festivals, all the gear is provided. So I usually choose a, a classic Ampex setup um, for obvious reasons. Um, my personal uh, rig that I have is a, a Marshall bass rig, believe it or not. Another uh, another another thing from the 80s there. That gets a great sound as well. I don't think they make those anymore. That's like a real vintage piece of gear right now. I never see Marshall bass amps anywhere I go. I mean, I've seen Ampeg, VHTs. I saw the strangest thing in a, in a music store recently. I saw an SWR Working Man 160 solid state head. So, okay. you know, that was pretty cool. I owned one of those at one point when I was in a Rush tribute band because it was cool. the right amount of trouble for what I needed. So. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, these little things, uh, they make a difference, these particulars and these details, no question. But um, yeah, the Marshall bass rig, that's definitely an 80s thing. Um, I remember uh, Martin Ain from Celtic Frost uh, played through a Marshall rig back in the 80s. Memory serves me right. I always loved the, uh, the sound that he got as well. Uh, mm -hmm. He's no longer with us either, unfortunately. No, rest in peace, Martin. Yeah, Morbid uh, Tales. I could still listen to that today, and it still sounds fresh to oh, me. Yeah. So me too, and I and I listen to it on a, still on a regular basis. Nothing has changed. So yeah, yeah. So the cross is definitely a game changer up there with Carnivore and and Motorhead. Um, in my humble opinion, yeah, no question about that. Yeah, the gear the gear stuff is a lot of fun. Um, miscellaneous pedals that I use as well. I'm actually going through. Uh, I'm looking out in a way. I'm looking at the pedal as I talk talk about it. <laughs> That's okay. I have so many pedals that I have to change them around specifically for like when I'm recording or for when I'm performing because you know when when I'm recording, it's just a simple matter of 
you know, hooking the pedal board to the interface. So all I really need is like my tuner pedal, just so I make sure that if I have to do another take, everything is set. I got my overdrive, I have wah, and I um, I found this one crazy pedal that I saw a gear video for on uh, on YouTube. It was the more pitch box and it gives you like a nice dry wet tone without uh-huh. needing to buy even tied harmonizer rig, one dry, okay. one wet to have that uh, cross tone. It's just one pedal doing it. And I saw it at Walmart. I was like, I can't believe I'm going to buy something from Walmart right yeah, now. Yeah, I was going to say Walmart. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, it, it, it was worth it. it. It gives you like that nice, coarsey, dry, wet tone. Okay, and wow. it sounds cool it, for the carnivore setup and, and otherwise uh, pretty much um, all the stuff that, that Pete used in carnivore, which are boss pedals. Oh, um, chorus, top of the yeah, line. Chorus, yep, chorus, distortion, and a tuner. And uh, that's exactly what he used. And then that's what I'm using. Uh, and that definitely does a trick. That, that definitely adds a sound. In typo negative, he had other um, things attached to that, but that's the basic premise of it. And um, I also have like uh, something I got recently, a, a drop tune pedal, which is interesting. Oh, who it, makes that D2, brand? Digitech actually makes it. It is and Digitech. Uh, okay. Yeah. And then that's probably the best one. I mean, I mean, it can't take you down, you know, like five or six steps, you know, clearly, but for like, you know, two or three steps, it works. So uh, it comes in handy, um, especially with the, the motor plasma side project, because, uh, you know, Motorhead is an E flat and the plasmatics were in, in standard. So instead of me switching bases, I got this pedal and I can kick it on and off. Um, right. It actually works out well. And even and for this typo negative thing that we're doing, as typo negative is uh, uh, in a lower key than Carnivore was. Right, because I think the first Carnivore album, it was tuned to C sharp standard. And from Retaliation onward, it's tuned to B the, standard. Yeah, 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 exactly. So what I do is I start off um, in C sharp in the Warlock, which is what it's tuned and set up to. And then I'll kick on the pedal to get down to B. So I avoid having to, you know, reset up the bass or get a second bass and all that other kind of crap. So um, it comes in pretty handy and it's an authentic, uh, it sounds pretty authentic. It doesn't sound fake or anything like that. So, uh, so that, that's pretty much where I'm at with pedals right now. And they're right next to me here. That's why I keep looking at them. So <laughs> <laughs> I think I found my next pedal that I'm going to get. So thank you, Baron, for the recommendation. Yeah, no, no, I appreciate you're very it. Welcome. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely recommend it. This is definitely the best one that's out there. There are others, but they're not as good as this one. So um, it definitely saves a lot of uh, a lot of hassle and, and carrying around a lot of gear. Yeah, definitely. Setups and all that. So with the lineup now consisting of Joe and Chuck, you have an East Coast performance set up this April in Parsippany, New Jersey at Dark Side of the Con, yes. where you'll be performing a special type of negative set. And I'm also happy to say that one of my favorite bands of the last 20 years, The Birthday Massacre, will also be performing at the same show. Right. Yeah, they're one of the headliners. What was it that brought Carnivore AD to Dark Side of the Con? And what future plans do you have with Carnivore AD? Well, I mean, since day one with Carnivore AD, we were, always, we were always asked about, you know, performing, adding some type of negative material into it or whatever. We always resisted. We started doing an excerpt of the song uh, Zero Tolerance uh, as an intro. You know, I had stuck that into the Carnivore AD set, but uh, still a lot of requests. I thought I recognized it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's like one of the one of the great riffs. Actually, as you may know, that um, most of the stuff on, on Soul Deep and Hard was supposed to have been a third Carnivore album. That's mm-hmm. why you're hearing a lot of the influence, because that was brought in for Carnivore. And then, obviously, you know, the band changed. Yeah, there's still a lot of Carnivore in, in that record in, in general. But what brought about that was it was actually the suggestion of the promoter that we do a typo negative set. An old friend of mine from the goth scene, Jet Barrelson, um, famous for the, the Vampire Freaks website and, uh, and some other things like that. Um, he suggested it. And uh, this time we said yes, where in the past we always kind of shied away from it. 
Um, it's something that we always kind of wanted to do and we knew we'd probably do it eventually, but uh, all the planets were in alignment this time around when, uh, when Jet made the suggestion. Uh, so we're doing it. You know, we're working it out right now as we speak. Uh, you got to be careful for what you ask for. You may get it. <laughs> well, it's a perfect melding of the right convention with the right band. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It all seemed like it was right. All the planets were in alignment. You know, I mean, this is a, a goth industrial festival. There's really nothing metal in there at all. Uh, you know, we're the closest thing here to that. Uh, you know, initially we had talked about carnivore, but, you know, they weren't sure, you know, because of the, the different type of music or whatever. Um, also, you know, a lot of people that are outside of the, the hardcore and the metal scene aren't that familiar with carnivore at all. And a lot of them are just discovering it now for the first time. So, yeah. So the idea of a, of a typo negative set is what really grabbed them. And we're going to do it. <laughs> That's awesome. So, and what future plans does Carnivore AD have after Dark Side of the Con? Just to, to keep doing what we're doing. Uh, get back to Europe. Um, we have a lot of stuff that has to be rescheduled. Uh, there's more East Coast shows coming up. Uh, we'll be in, in Jersey and Rhode Island again. Some other stuff as well. Um, Connecticut. Uh, just doing what we're doing um you know carnivore is more about the live performance obviously we're not gonna you know uh, put out a record or anything like that uh, you know i really don't think it's possible to, to to record you know songs without you know without pete being the songwriter this is more about that and it's more about the live performance as well i always tell people you know if you want to hear recorded carnivore music listen to the records you know we're just here to fill in the gap uh the you know the gap that exists because there's no live performance so yeah, just more of what we've been doing. That's pretty much what's on the agenda um, for Carnivore AD, just to get back out there, bring the music back to people, bring the, you know, the old hardcore vibe from the 80s back out to everyone. Um, it's a real nostalgia trip, it seems, at this point. Yeah, so that's the plan. As far as a typo negative set, we'll see, you know, where we take that from there. Um, but it's been a blast, you know, incorporating the keyboards into it as well. We're performing with, uh, you know, the, the three of us and, and a fourth member, uh, Evan Strumar, um, who's uh, a member of Asaria and also is uh, the guitar player in Motoplasma. He plays both keyboards and guitar. And um, yeah, he does all the video edits of the stuff you've seen online. Um, they're definitely, uh, you know, a real tech kind of a person, like a Mr. Spock kind of a guy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. He's your chief science officer. I like yeah, it. He totally is. Yeah, yeah. So he's, uh, you know, he's opened up a lot of possibilities and uh, he's a great friend and, and, a, and a very serious musician, you know, a good guy to have, uh, you know, on board here. So he'll be doing the keyboards. Um, you had asked me about that earlier. You have to have the keyboards, uh, you know, for uh, for the type of negative material. Um, I, I mean, you could do it without it, but it just it wouldn't sound right, you know? I mean, yeah. it was such an integral part of the sound. Of course, so. no question about it. You know, I mean, there's ways to get around it, but not for a whole set. You know, um, when we do that excerpt of Zero Tolerance that I was uh, mentioning to you, we have actually Chuck playing the, the, uh, the keyboard line on guitar. So, but that's just for an excerpt and it works. But um, for a full set, it had to be... Uh, had to be done the right way. You know, if you're going to do something, you got to do it the right way. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. So one one thing Pete said in an interview that I always appreciate, he said, whatever they do on record, he said he wanted to replicate live because he feels like anytime you saw a band who couldn't replicate live what they did on record, he said he, he as a fan was disappointed. Yeah. It's you almost know? false advertising in some ways. Pretty much. Yeah. And we all know so, how I feel about false advertising. Yeah, you know, right on. You and me both. I mean, sometimes it's not possible to completely replicate everything, but you want to get close or at least the instrumentation of it. You know, obviously there are a lot of things you could do in a studio that you can't pull off on stage, but uh, you want to get as close as possible and you want people to recognize, you know, what you're playing. So, um, Definitely. you know, so yeah, that's where we're, uh, we're at. 
and we're working hard. I mean, it's a lot of work to get this together and, and, and put it together, but, um, but it's been a blast. So uh, more and everything as it develops. <laughs> Sweet. You do still keep in touch with Mark and Louie and you did receive their blessing to continue. Yeah, so that's, absolutely. that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it certainly is. I had some email correspondence with Louie recently. Um, our new drummer, Joe Cangalosi, had a nice chat with him about the crazy off time um, ending in, in inner conflict. If you remember that part at the end, mm-hmm. it's like an odd meter timing. So, uh, so he consulted Louie about that. And Louie explained, you know, the, uh, the mathematics uh, behind that. It technically was a mathematical equation where it's all off, but in the end, it all equals, you know, the right, uh, the right number. So that, and that's how Pete had approached that, the composition of that part. Are we talking about the breakdown part? Yeah. Yeah. The slow part, large two inch maggots decorate my vomit. That, that <laughs> bit. Yes. It's almost like a, it's a three, five time or something like that. Right. Uh, I, I, I was counting it in my head when I heard it. I was like, wow, this is almost like progressive metal with pretty much. The, Sound of a um, Lucio Fulci scene going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a very bizarre part. Very complicated. Very uncomfortable to play, <laughs> I must say. <laughs> sure it is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and it's incredibly like hard waltz. to digest. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. The, the maggots, especially. But apparently that's what, that's what Peter thought about, that, that it was a, an off mathematical equation. But in the end, it always comes back to where it's supposed to be. So that's very interesting. <laughs> so this is a, it's a drummer thing, I guess. Drummer talk. That's a great story. Yeah. And that's, that's a rough part, though. <laughs> <laughs> well you, you've pulled it off so that's awesome I mean, you. you know yeah. the, again the video speaks for itself so one other project that you're involved in which i'm happy to discuss with you is a group called motor plasma where yes. you perform the music of wendy o williams and the plasmatics and motorhead and if anyone yeah. who knows me knows out there motorhead's one of my top 10 favorite bands of all time also with typo and sabbath you can't get more real rock and roll than wendy o and lemmy and you can't get two more similar mindsets either. I mean, That's nobody right. could have pulled off Stand By Your Man the way they did. You know it. Nobody. Okay, I was wondering if you knew. Okay. Oh, I know my history. Right, you know? well, that's I mean, cool. How many times Wendy O jumped on stage with Lemmy to sing No Class? Absolutely. I, all right, I'm impressed, you know, because I actually get asked often, I'm like, well, what's the connection between the two? What's and the connection? I to, yeah, I have to explain. Well, they, they, they played on each other's records and they did a duet together. You know, they performed live together. Some people don't, don't realize. And a lot of people don't remember the Plasmatics, especially the younger audience. You know, the Plasmatics broke up a long time ago, and Wendy's been gone for a while now, as we know. This is true, but Wendy O, her W.O.W. album, I call it the Lost Kiss album. No question about it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a Kiss record with Wendy singing on it, essentially. Right. To me, it's as good an album as Creatures of the Night. And that's... I think so. And that, to me, is one of my all-time favorite Kiss records. Yeah, so. one of mine as well. Absolutely. Well, they both came out around the same period of time, 83, 84. Mm-hmm. Similar style. As you know, the members of Kiss played on Wendy's records as well. Yes, and I thought it was funny that Gene Simmons changed his name to a Jackie Gleason character. Reginald uh, Von Helsing. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was his alias. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Hello, Mother. My, but you're getting fat. <laughs> I have found that there are more things that are interesting than chasing girls. Oh, and what is that? Catching them. (laughs) But on a sad note, it was Gene Simmons' involvement that actually broke up the plasmatics. So... I, I, I love the demon for what he's contributed, but as far as him thinking he was a genius businessman, mm mm-mm, no. Yeah, I mean, he, uh... He did that with a lot of bands, you know, and then he kind of dropped them later on. You're better off talking to Richie Stotts about this than myself, you know, <laughs> who is a friend of mine. Actually, I'm, I'm very happy to say, you know, the members of the Plasmatics are friends of mine. And I actually knew Wendy as a kid. 
Um, really? Yeah, that I did of, not know. One of the most cherished memories of my life. As a matter of fact, I even have half of a chainsaw guitar here that Wendy gave me in 1983. Holy shit. Old, which has been a center, a center part of my uh, living room. And I have a smashed up television set that she gave me as well, which I have in storage. Well, that is iconic Wendy right there. Yeah. So, you know, the plasmatics meant the world to me. Um, that's probably my all time favorite band. And Wendy was my hero. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the times I spent with her chatting as a kid, uh, again, the, the most fondest memories of my life. It pains me the way her life ended. I mean, yeah, you know, tragic. I'll admit it. I do believe in a lot of Christian principles. It breaks my heart when someone ends their life like that, especially with everything that she's contributed. I'm not, I'm not saying that, oh, her soul's going to hell or anything like that. I don't, I don't adhere to those principles, but you know, it's like to me, and, and I don't like putting people on a pedestal either, because as far as I'm concerned, everyone is equal in terms of if they're good or they're bad. And it's like, you know, it's what you put out to the world that I think matters the most. And she brought so much joy and fun to people. Absolutely. And, you know, she's well loved and well missed. Absolutely. You know? Especially by me. <laughs> mm. You know, I think about her all the time and I still think back to when I was a kid. You know, I, I was shocked that she was as despondent as she was to go and commit the act that she committed. When I knew her, she was very maternal. Maybe people, you know, find it hard to believe, but that's how, uh, that's the vibe I got from her. You know, and again, I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to spend, you know, quality time with her chatting. I would go to all the plasmatic shows uh, during the coup d'etat tour. You know, even though I was 16, I was still able to get in, you know, New York City in the 80s. And mm -hmm. nowadays that this wouldn't happen. To this day, still my favorite band. And I think about her all the time and, a lot of great stories about her and, and the stuff we talked about. Um, she really, she really cared, you know, about a 16 year old poindexter like myself, you know, I used to have a <laughs> mohawk and I went to all the plasmatic shows, you know, the plasmatics is, is another place where I found myself the way that comic books were, you know, when I was uh, in grade school, I think the plasmatics were more what, uh, where I found myself, you know, in, uh, you know, in, pre in my preteen years, that, that's a very awkward time of your life. Um, right, going through puberty and all that, but somehow the plasmatics got me through it. Gives you an idea, you know, what's going on in my mind. Yeah, and to meet the band, it was a it was a dream come true. Um, and I'm still friends with you know with uh, Richie and TC Tolliver, uh, the drummer, and uh, they approve of Motor Plasma, and they've they've said positive things about it. And I've actually had the pleasure of jamming with them as well in the past. So um, it's a tremendous honor. Um, so between that and carnivore, this is why I don't care if I play my own songs. You know, I'm playing songs by the people that I love that mean the world to me. Yeah, but Wendy's a very special person and, and really means so much. And, uh, you know, I think about it all the time. Um, if I could ever go back in time, I'd want to go back to 1983. You know, those moments, you know, where I got to talk to her and, and all the stuff that we discussed and the situations. Um, I, I remember one thing real quick, which is classic Wendy. I'll, I'll mention this really quick. Uh, as I mentioned, I was I was somehow able to get into all the shows at a fake ID in New York City in the 80s. But then and I would follow them around on tour. But then there was one show that was out of town and I went there and, uh, and they weren't having it. They were like, you're not getting in here with this fake ID. So I was stuck. Um, I had gone there by train, obviously. And for some reason, the trains weren't running frequently. So I had to wait hours for the next train. And uh, the station was by the venue. So I just hung out by the venue and just waited for the train. And then, um, then the show ended uh, and then people are coming out and then, and then Wendy comes out of, of the venue and sees me and we, she had known me from all the other shows when we would chat and all that. And she comes over, you know, with, with that accent of hers, like, what happened? What are you 
doing out here? And I explained, oh, I couldn't get in. She's like, you should have sent word to me. I would have came out. And I was like, are you really? And then she looked at me and she goes, because no one gets pushed around in a plasmatic show. I mean, badass. To this day, I, I'm just I'm just blown away by it. And that really that really happened. You know, that, this isn't a dream or a fantasy. I know I'm, I'm sounding like a teeny bopper here, but uh, no, no but nothing am. wrong with that. <laughs> I mean, it, if anything, it's akin to what you said about her paternal instinct. One thing that I always appreciated about her was the fact that she genuinely cared for people. I remember seeing this when she was on a talk show and I think it was Mrs. Fields that she was on the show with. Yeah, I've seen that. Who yeah, was yeah. pushing processed foods. Wendy was, I think, a raw or natural food advocate. Vegetarian, and yeah. She was, right, she was a vegetarian, but she also didn't believe in consuming processed foods because of right, what it right. did to your bodies. You know, And I remember she stuck up for kids by saying, you know, why would you want to feed your kids this if it's not going to help them? Right. You Absolutely. Know, it's, it's, to yeah. me, it's like, you know what? That's something that someone who genuinely cares would want to do. And, you know, she wasn't pushing a political agenda. She was pushing a health agenda. Right. And, of course. Yeah. And, and I think that's, no you know, that. some, I mean, look, I mean, I, I enjoy a cookie every now and then, but, you know, my whole life isn't based on eating cookies. Cookie! <laughs> Stop that! Silly! Or, of course. You know, or like I enjoy a beer about. now and then, you know, just it's sure. everything in moderation, but, you know, yeah, no try to eat that. more natural stuff. Unfortunately, our culture, you know, in America and in a lot of parts of the world is based around shit, around junk food, basically. Yeah. You know, and, and that's unfortunate. So that was something that she was really uh, very serious about. You know, I, I remember the food that she ate at the shows backstage. I was actually fortunate enough to be able to get back there. And she would have alfalfa sprouts, tofu, which I didn't even know what that was. I thought it was cheese. You know, I remember they offered me some of that. I'm like, is that cheese? And I, I ate it. And I'm like, what, what is this? Alfalfa sprouts and carrot juice. She always drank carrot juice. And she was very, very strict about that, having all that at the shows. And she always tried to get the other guys in the band to eat healthy. Again, Richie would, would tell you more about that. Richie Stotts, a guitar player. So yeah, there was that side to her and, and she was in great shape and the fitness thing and all that. It, it's, she was in it, top peak physical condition yeah. compared to a lot of the uh, musicians from that time. Absolutely. She's, I mean, she's my hero. You know what I mean? Just uh, still to this day, uh, I'll be 100, I'll be 900 years old and I'll still be telling these Wendy stories. Even if nobody listens, I'll still be telling it. Uh, hey, I'm listening. So yeah, no, I know. And, and you know, you're, you know, you know the deal here. We want to make sure everybody remembers the plasmatics. So it's... Uh, yeah, it's a real labor of love. I mean, it's a stretch. I mean, for a guy to be in Wendy's role, you know, but uh, so, uh, but you know, I, I welcome these impossible challenges. So, um, yeah, it Good really stuff. takes me back. I'm 16 years old all over again when I do that. I close my eyes and I pretend it's 1983. <laughs> well, that's the thing about music again. You know, that's why it's as wonderful as it is, because it gives everyone a reason to not feel their age. You know, being able to be on stage and just pick up a guitar, pick up a bass or get behind the kid and just rock out have fun and just yeah. bring joy to themselves and others you know i mean to me it's i don't know it's more fun than going to a ball game but you know yeah, that's yeah. Just i me. couldn't agree more yeah no doubt about it it's the closest thing we have to like a fountain of youth or something or uh or being able to travel back in time music can bring you back there definitely yeah, yeah i don't feel my back aches when i'm on stage people i'll wait till the day the day after they, yeah <laughs> there you go that's a beautiful thing we're lucky that we have that you know definitely so, uh, yeah so and worst case scenario thing. there's always advil That's right. So yeah, between Advil and the music, we're fine. Who's better than us? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm happy to say that on March 13th, 
you will be in Bethpage, New York, showing a screening of the original Nosferatu starring Max Schreck. Yes. At Mr. Beery's, located at 4019 Hepstead Turnpike. It'll start at 6.30, and it's in celebration of 100 years of the film's release. Aside from the historical significance of the film being an original adaptation of Dracula, the fact that we are here today celebrating the 100th anniversary of any film is pretty exciting. I actually owned a copy of this film where the soundtrack was replaced with Typo Negative. Yeah. Since the movie itself is in the public domain, mm -hmm. the film has been influential in the genres of horror, science fiction, and fantasy. For you, what personal significance does Nosferatu have? And what was the brainchild for you to host this? But most important, how in the heck did you get Mr. Beeries <laughs> to do this? All good questions. Just another one of my cockamamie ideas. You know, uh, comic books, plasmatics covers. This is the next one. I, I always wanted to be like a horror film host, you know, along the lines of what Elvira does or Vampira. You're Obviously, like I'm our very own Zvenguli. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, or something like that, or exactly the cool ghoul or something like that. I mean, not approaching it from like a slapstick comedy kind of thing. Cause that, no, that's no, what they of course were. not. Yeah, they were all more comedians. Just me being myself. There's a lot of comedy in me being myself also. Yeah, just in a crazy idea that, that I got not that long ago. You no, know, I thought about where I could possibly do it. And I, I uh, contacted some uh, some promoters that I knew. And um, I remember that Mr. Beery's had uh, some projection equipment because we, we've done some of the motoplasma shows there. It's, you know, a local thing. Uh, so I contacted Steve. I don't know if you know Steve, Steve Beery, the owner there. Never met him, but I performed at Mr. Beery's a couple of times and they always took care of my band. Yeah, yeah, right on. There's, you know, they, they kind of, they view themselves as like Long Island's uh, answer to CBGBs. So it's like, all right. Yeah, I contacted him, the owner, and I, I told him the crazy idea and he, he totally went for it. So the event so, will be indoors, not outdoors, like a drive-in type thing. You know, it'll be indoors. Um, we, we did like a, like a video check last week, actually. Um, it'll all be set up where the stage is. There'll be chairs and everything. And uh, we'll be screening the film. Um, it, it's a high definition remastered uh, copy of the film that I'll be screening. Um, I'll be hosting it and providing narration at the beginning and, the, and at the end. And there'll be like a question and answer uh, segment. Um, and we'll talk, we'll talk more about it. And like you said, I mean, it's, it's a landmark that anything within our popular culture is at the 100 year mark. Yeah, I mean, anything, any film in our lifetime to hit that that's pretty crazy absolutely yeah so i thought this calls for a celebration you know nosferatu means the world to me as well you know we all remember how we felt when we first saw that film you know the horror and the, the uneasiness right definitely it wasn't bloody but it was scary and yeah, you know something... your kids seeing that it was great yeah even by today's standards there's just something so disturbing about it but i also found enchantment out of it as well and a love for the character <laughs> yeah german expressionism at its best and that paved the way for everything universal did i think afterwards that was I would like agree first, with that, yeah. Yeah, that was the first real full-length uh, vampire film. There were some other attempts uh, in shorter films in a silent era. And uh, they shot all that stuff on location, as you saw. Um, it's incredible. And Max Shrek as the character, I mean, <laughs> even separate from the makeup, the whole delivery and the walk and everything, it's just, uh, it's a mind blower. Even by today's standards, it's still... Uh, It'll still scare the shit out of you. There's no question about that. Yeah. So another crazy idea of mine that actually that actually worked. Um, hopefully will work. But uh, I'm really excited. And again, it's something I always wanted to do. You know, I mean, for for decades I've been sitting here rambling on and on about horror films anyway. So I figured I might as well do something constructive with it. <laughs> there were two things that scared me as a kid. One was Max Shrek, and the other one was the Bogeyman in the Laurel and Hardy Babes in Toyland film. Uh, right, right. Those okay. were scary. I forgot about that. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have but to they... fast forward them every time we watch them around Thanksgiving and Christmas because my daughter gets freaked out by that. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, I better not show her Nosferatu, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe she should wait uh, a little while for that. Uh, but, I know, um, but I can't wait. You know. Yeah, yeah. She, she'll know when she's ready. I remember the first time I saw it was in a, actually in a book about horror films when I was in grade school from the library, actually, if memory serves me right. And I think I still have the book. I never returned it. And That's I, a parents, pretty hefty fine that you must have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think my parents took care of that at some point in the 70s. But uh, okay. I was just blown away. I'm like, what the devil is this? You know, and then eventually I saw the film and I've been uh, a very big, very big fan ever since. Um, yeah. And as you mentioned, Typo Negative did a soundtrack. Um, there's been a lot of different soundtracks uh, to the film throughout the years. Typo Negative. There's, I have a copy worth jazz soundtrack, believe it or not. A jazz um, soundtrack? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, that's pretty odd, but I'd like to see that. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, like the scenes where he's walking here. <laughs> oh, I. I, it's kind of, I was it's, thinking you meant like jazz, sort of like a '70s expressive progressive jazz. No, not but. so much that. More like stand-up bass kind of uh, kind of a thing. Um, mm. Definitely kind of strange. The version of the film that I'll be showing has a the musical score for that is actually the original score that was used back in the day, not the original recording. But the uh, the music that the composer had composed 100 years ago, re-recorded, obviously, in, in the modern era, that's the soundtrack that's in uh, this version of the film that I'll be showing, which, uh, you know, definitely further adds to the authenticity of it and really takes you back to uh, to the head where they were at the time. It's a great soundtrack. Um, everything you could imagine is real creepy and, and that kind of thing. And uh, the original soundtrack, I forget the composer's name, uh, German composer, obviously. But uh, so I'm, I'm psyched that uh, I was able to obtain, again, a copy that was high definition remastered and with the original the original score so um it should be a blast it should be a lot of fun it's definitely something definitely. To deep into and so. what i think is so significant about what you're doing is because i just i hate the way vampires have kind of been depicted in film in the last 30 yeah. years um Twilight and all that. you know i i know that a lot of people out there are buffy the vampire slayer fans i have to admit i and, and you know what? I'll, I'll say it flat out. Wait for it! I fucking hate Joss Whedon. Fuck you, Malaka! I think he's I an overrated hack. I, I started watching it because I wanted to know why girlfriends broke up with me every time I called them during Buffy. I'm like, what? what is the significance of the show? <laughs> and the problem with Joss Whedon is that everything he does is so interchangeable. Like, if you take a Buffy the Vampire Slayer and a Firefly, if you take the character studies out of them, it's the same shit. So... To me, it's like he ruined vampires for me. They became and and let's not even talk about Twilight. Yeah, but no, no, I digress. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know what I love about what you're doing with Nosferatu is the fact that you're bringing it back so we could reminisce on how these were creatures that were supposed to be afraid of and be mystified by. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And that I think is something that's lacking. I mean, it got to a point where for me, I was only all about Italian horror films. So, like you know, I have a huge collection of Argento and Fulci. And uh, Baba in 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 my uh, in my collection, but I'll always have love for not just Nosferatu, but also Bela Lugosi's Dracula. Oh. You know, I mean, come of on. course, of course, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm taking it back uh, back to square one here. It was Thank much you. Better, yeah. Of course, you're very welcome. My pleasure. That that's my life's work here. That's <laughs> that's my goal. Yeah, they don't make them like they used to. That's the real deal. You know. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's an honor. I'm a humble servant. I'm a messenger here. <laughs> I definitely want to come support it because, like I said, Mr. Berries is not far from where I live. And if I don't come, I'm a jackass. So. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come get you. <laughs> okay. Do that. But yeah, it should be a blast. Yeah. I mean, Nasrata should be on the big screen. Uh, another hero of mine. That's something I'm hoping to be doing on a regular basis uh, just to keep bringing these, these old films out there. 
Um, obviously, it has to be public domain, but that's fine. There's a lot of great public domain films uh, that, that deserve to be seen. Um, Night of the Living Dead is one of them. I was just going to say that. Yeah, even though it's not an old film, uh, the story was that, that became public domain because they fucked something up with the copyright or something. Yeah, what happened was because the film was Night of Anubis and they had the copyright on that and the distributor said one of you changes to Night of the Living Dead and they never got the copyright on that. Right, right. Yeah, so, so. they kind of... Uh, screwed screw, you know screwed up for themselves unfortunately but yeah that's another one i'd like to show and uh, even some of the some of the bill lugosi films the monogram ones i mean a lot of them are kind of pathetic but some of them have some good moments and it's always good to see bela even in a shitty movie he still definitely shines those are possibilities as well you know well i <laughs> I, I do know there's bela lugosi meets a broken gorilla <laughs> yeah yeah maybe not that one i'm thinking more okay of, good uh, the, the, the devil bat perhaps all right it's a possibility i mean they're all still pretty crappy but again seeing him with the exception of the brooklyn gorilla i own that one <laughs> yeah no i got it too yeah yeah i was watching Cause, it cause like months ago as a matter it's of on fact. my blu-ray copy of uh the duke mitchell film massacre mafia style so uh, i couldn't okay. i'm sorry it. to hear that <laughs> oh, but i like that film yeah yeah no, <laughs> not, no, not the not the broken gorilla the massacre mafia yeah, style. Yeah. no no I, I was saying i'm sorry to hear that you have the the broken gorilla on but the, it came on with TV. it <laughs> all right well you know it's bella's bella right but uh Planet out from outer space, the worst film ever made. Uh, I know, but I, I do have love for Bride of the Monster. Yeah, I me just too. Do. Exactly. Yeah. So these are all possibilities of things that I could be uh, that I'd be interested in showing, uh, you know, if, if, if I can uh, continue with this crazy project. Uh, I even think Phantom of the Opera and Hunchback of Notre Dame are in public domain, right? Even though they're from Universal. I think they both have to be in the public domain. I know yeah, there's I believe a list so. of public domain films out there. They, they should be on it. If not, then you know we'll wait <laughs> yeah 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 it'll be a matter of time but there's there's some other possibilities um so yeah I, I really hope to be able to move forward with this project last year was the 30th anniversary of the first typo album slow deep and hard i was trying to do something ambitious and get people associated with peter to talk about the music and remembering peter and their way to honor him similar to how i had lorelei shellist on the podcast where one episode was dedicated to her late fiance, Steve Clark of Def Leppard. Unfortunately, logistics made it impossible to have anyone on the show since Louis moved to Florida. Johnny Kelly has been busy with Silver Tomb, Quiet Riot, and Kill Devil Hill. Josh Silver prefers a life of privacy, which I completely respect, and a possible lack of interest from others. Do you have any fond memories of Pete or Keith? Um, anything that you'd like to share about him? Yeah, I sure do. Uh, we could be on here all night. Um, I'll start with Keith first. Uh, you know, we want to make sure that he's very well remembered as well. Everybody's always going to remember Pete, but, uh, you know, we always include Keith in that and, uh, everybody, for people that don't know, Keith played on the first album, um, not on the second record, as you know, and he went on to form uh, primal scream and do like uh, a lot of other different things until he unfortunately passed away. Um, in, in a bicycle accident back in, in 2005, which is very tragic. Yeah, I mean, a lot of fond memories of Keith. I remember after after I left Sheer Terror, I, I started a band, Desecrator, which was more, you know, like an 80s thrash kind of a realm. Um, and I remember Keith actually, um, and, and we, we had to change guitar players and we were looking for a guitar player. And he had heard about it. And he wanted to come down and audition, actually, which I thought was incredible. You know, I mean, I would always run into him in the neighborhood and things like that. Um, and he came down, you know, he wasn't really prepared and he really didn't, didn't learn our songs that well. But then we ended up just jamming on some of the carnivore songs. So that that was my first. Uh, and he showed me some of the parts and all that. So that, that was my first introduction to actually playing some of that. I remember we did uh, some of Male Supremacy and the song Carnivore. And I remember he referred to the suspended chords as nuclear chords. 
I, that always, uh, I always remember that, um, give you an idea of his kind of sense of humor. Um, so yeah, just like a lot of fond memories. Uh, and again, I would always run into him in the neighborhood in Brooklyn. I remember one time, uh, and I would take the bus, obviously I was a kid. I remember coming back from a sheer terror rehearsal and I, uh, you know, I had more of like a punk kind of a hairdo or something. And I had sheer terror written in blood letters on my base case. And I'm getting on the bus and everybody's looking at me like, you know, like what, what the hell's going on here? Then the next stop, Keith gets on the bus and he's got like a, like a guitar case that, that he built. It looks like a coffin, you know, and he's got his whole caveman look and everybody's looking at him. And then we see each other and it's like, oh, the punk and the caveman are riding the bus together. Everybody's thinking. So I thought that was kind of funny. So little things like that, I remember. And as far as Pete goes, I first met Pete when I was 16 years old. I was friends with him up until like a, a year before he passed away. And it was always a pleasure running into him and chatting and listening to some of his crazy ideas and, and crazy jokes. I remember we did a show uh, where we opened up when I was in Share Terror. We, we opened up for Carnivore at CBGB's and I'm 17 years old at this time. And I would actually do shows without any equipment and just like hope that somebody would loan me the gear. That that was kind of like a hardcore thing, you know? So uh, we, had, we had- I've experienced that many times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know how that so we had the show with Carnivore. Now it's time for us to hit Pete up for the gear, you know, and uh, and he was actually confused that I would be playing shows without any equipment. And uh, he graciously let me use the equipment. Um, but he was like, you know, in, in a very kind of paternal way, he's like, well, you know, you can't do any shows if you don't have any equipment. Eventually, you got you to gotta get something right. I'm like, yeah, no, you're right. And eventually I did. So uh, I just remember his uh, his words saying that to me. Now, would you have to tune his bass up from C sharp standard to E standard? No, no, not at all. No, no, no. Okay. You know, I had my own bass, yeah, but just not none of the amplification. Yeah, yeah, So I, I wouldn't have pushed it that much. And, and I thought this was just the thing when I was playing gigs in the hardcore scene. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it had been around even even in our day there. But just like the look on his face, he's like, you, you have the audacity to come here just without anything and just hope someone's going to loan it to you. So, but that, that was great as a kid. Then I remember Pete telling me once that I was, uh, when I was in high school, that was my plasmatics face. And I had a mohawk like Wendy and I would go to high school and everybody hated me and wanted to kill me. I remember Pete telling me years, years later, he's like, you used to go to John Dewey High School and you used to have a mohawk, right? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, how do you know? He's like, no, I always saw you coming in and out. And I'm thinking, I didn't see you. Where were you? Like, how did I not see you? <laughs> you know, you should have said something. You should have came over and said something. Yeah, we're talking about 1983. So ah, Carnivore was just uh, maybe just starting to get formed. Um, yeah, yeah. So just something funny that he's telling me years later that he saw me with a mohawk going into high school. <laughs> I'm thinking, where was he? How did I not see him? You know, so... Uh, you know, just a little, you know, little silly things like that. That's what I think of the most uh, when I remember Pete, you know, especially the older days. I mean, you know, when he was healthier and, and things were a lot clearer for him, you know what I mean? Before any of any of the problems uh, arose and, and, and some of the stuff that he got into, um, that seems like that's when he was truly happy at that point in time, you know? And I know that he, he always missed the hardcore scene and always reflected back on it. Um, so, yeah, so those, those are the best memories. Uh, you know, again, we, we could be here all night. You know, so many little stories like this. Well, I appreciate uh, the two stories you gave about Pete and oh, Keith. Yeah. I mean, My pleasure. I only have one Pete Steele story and it's not that exciting. I was uh -huh. at Lamore in Brooklyn. Armored Saint was playing. And at the time I was a college radio DJ and Metal Blade put me on the guest list because I had Armored Saint on heavy rotation. And here I am in Brooklyn, 19 years old, so I didn't have ID to buy beer. All of a sudden, who comes in through the doors but Pete Steele with the green army hat and oh. his green jacket. And I look up and he's like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, 
uh, 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 I couldn't <laughs> say anything because I was starstruck. I'm like, holy shit, it's Pete Steele. If I could see him today, all I would say to him is just thank you because talking about the Poindexter thing and talking about the reject thing, the music of Typo and mind you, I did discover Typo before I discovered Carnivore because I remember when Christian Woman and Black Number One were played on repeated rotation on Q104.3 when they were still playing metal and hard rock before they went full alternative then classic rock. That's how I discovered them was during the Bloody Kisses era. And all of a sudden I just became a fan and supporter for life. I just wish I could say thank you to him, but I can say thank you to you for keeping his music alive and doing such a wonderful, admirable job of doing it. What you, Chuck, and Joe do is just bring joy to fans of this music that have been missing it for so long. So thank you, Baron. You're very welcome, Lou. You know, it, it's, it's a very emotional thing, you know, and it, it, it's our pleasure. You know, I mean, we, we really miss the guy and, uh, you know, we wish we weren't doing this. We wish he was doing it. You know, I, I would much prefer to be in the audience still, to be honest, but uh, not what you're saying means a lot. And, and I hear that from a lot of the fans also. You know, they, everyone has a story about, you know, similar to what you said, how the music of Typo Negative or Carnivore got them through a hard time, uh, myself included, more with Carnivore. You know, and when I was a teenager, you know, going through a rough time, you do stupid things. You know, it, it was uh, the Retaliation album that kind of got me through some of that, you know. And I remember talking about that with Pete as well. Um, so, yeah, it, it's touched us all. He touched us all in some capacity with the music, be it Carnivore or Typo Negative, the 80s or the 90s or the 2000s. Um, and that that's why we're doing what we're doing you know it, it's uh it, it, it's such a personal thing right i mean uh that's why we got to do this you know definitely there is one funny story that i will end though my wife and i we were cleaning the house i played the first carnivore album on my iphone as i'm cleaning it i think i know what you're gonna say <laughs> which song do you think it was where my wife reacted to it go the ahead song carnivore no it weeks. wasn't that it was Mill supremacy Oh, Mil oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I said, okay, I'll change the music. And then I put on Slow, Deep, and Hard. And then she hears, I'll worse. kill you yeah, tonight. Yeah. And she pops her head through the door. She's like, you don't have any plans, do you? I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. The music's got to get a reaction out of you. I'm like, you know yeah, what? So. How many years later? And it still gets a reaction of people who hear it for the first time. So yeah, yeah, it worked. That's a beautiful thing. And that's a great song. And I love singing that, you know, but, uh, but again, if, if you get into what that's about, it's about that his girlfriend cheated on him and left him and bewildered him, you know? So that's what it's about. It, it's almost like you did me wrong, you know? And that, exactly. that's his response to it. Yeah. Yeah. So and you, for, you for the record, he never killed anyone. So no, no, not, at least not that we know of, but uh, well, no, 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 yeah, but I'll take that. <laughs> and the male supremacy thing. Yeah. I mean, you get to that beautiful after the war, you get into all of that, the most beautiful mm -hmm. romantic thing that he's singing to the woman, you know, so. And then it ends on a total upswing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, that, that's what he was all about. Like he'll freak you out for a while, but then here's the punchline. After right. Exactly. You know, and so again, that that's that dry wit that's sarcastic new york humor yeah it's very new york very brooklyn very 80s mm -hmm. you know if, if you were here you understood you know you as a new yorker you know so i could see why a lot of people that would freak them out you know they don't they never heard anybody talk that way but well i'm not from brooklyn i'm queens born and bred but you know yeah, i had to i had to thank the thing. marx brothers for my sarcasm <laughs> okay yeah yeah it all ties into the same thing it's all under the new york umbrella you know there's mm -hmm. a variation between queens and the bronx and brooklyn but 
That's yeah. right. Groucho Marx, the original Pete Steele. <laughs> There you go. He, he set the pace. This is one of the few times I have a genuine smile on my face interviewing someone because they just Good get you. it. I'm glad to hear you say that. I have a genuine smile here as well. So uh, Awesome shit, man. Thank yeah. you. If people want to find out more about what you're doing, Baron, where can they find more about you, Motoplasma, Carnivore D? Please plug your stuff. The best way is the, uh, the social media pages. You know, this is the cultural phenomena of our time, social media. So uh, my Facebook page and my, uh, uh, my Instagram page, uh, under my name, Baron Mizoraka, and we have the Carnivore D page in, on Instagram as well. Uh, you can just put it in a search and uh, and we'll pop up. Um, again, my Facebook page and on Instagram, uh, my page and, and the Carnivore D page. And uh, all the Nosferatu and comic book and Motoplasma info was on my personal pages as well. Uh, was that, no, actually, there's a Motoplasma Facebook and Instagram page as well. I, I forget myself sometimes. <laughs> so yeah, just put them all in there in a the search engine and it'll come up. Um, and there's links to it all on my personal pages. So, uh, you know, we're, we're out there. We're, we're bordering on overexposed at times. <laughs> yeah, do check us out. Stop by and send us an email. Preferably not hate mail. We're always curious to what people are thinking and what people like. So uh, and it's always nice to hear from people, uh, you know, with experiences like yourself, uh, you know, who, uh, who cherish this music and the people that we've spoken about, be it uh, Nasratu or Wendy or Pete or whoever it might be. That's a great combination, right? <laughs> Definitely. Baron Misaraga, I cannot thank you enough for blessing the podcast with your presence. Um, you, again, like, you know, since since I found out that you were doing the music of Carnivore and Carnivore AD and just seeing the nostalgia, the authenticity and the fan service that you're giving to fans of this music, since seeing it, it's brought a lot of joy to so many people, especially me. And Thanks. I really wish you the best with everything that you're doing and please continue doing it because it's great stuff. Yeah, and thank you. We you know, will. I just wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you. And real quick, you mentioned, uh, you know, the whole connection with the fans and the fan service. We are the fans also. We are them. We're all one here. You know, we're, we're, we're the fans. We were the people that were in the audience, you know, so we're all, I almost feel like when we do this, it's like a bunch of old friends that have gathered together to reminisce, really. You know, so we're all pretty much in the same uh, perspective here. There's no question about that. So uh, I guess that that's coming across and that's showing, which is a great thing. And that's what we always wanted. So uh, so thank you for pointing that out. Not a problem at all. To find out more about the Music is Live podcast, check us out over at musicislivepodcast.com. Also, don't forget to check us out over at ratsireview.com, which is the parent network. Baron, thanks again for being on the show. You're very welcome. My pleasure. And remember, all art is valid. Have a good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Thank you. And everything that we do and have done and will do will always, always be dedicated with all our love and with honor to the memories of Pete, Peter Steele and Keith Alexander. Let me hear it again for those guys, for Pete and for Keith. Come on. podcast brought to you by anchor.fm and ratsad review check out the other shows on ratsad review including beyond bushido old man metals musings the right opinion the viera vault the timo toki podcast the bs sessions with mark and jerry just the cheese please and the friday night party with the great harry barnett and evie graphics by rocky baya 
for commissions. Find them on Twitter at R-O-C-K-Y-B-A-I-A. Intro and outro music for the show is Lose Control by The Rebel Medium, written by Jacqueline Guitard, Ernest Leuk, and Lou Mavs. If you'd like to donate to the channel, please donate to our PayPal at musicislifepodcast at gmail.com. If you're in a band and you want us to review your music, then contact us at Maps at musicislifepodcast.com. Special thanks to Wayne Noon and Greg Noggle. With much love and gratitude to Aaron, Anna, and Aloysius. For more information, check out www.musicislifepodcast.com. And don't forget to check out www.ratsireview.com. Remember, all art is valid. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Treat each other the way you'd like to be treated. That's all. You know, in the path of the village, it's a little